My guest this week is an unassuming delight. Still early in her career, but surely destined for great things of which, well, she's already achieved a fair few. Alice Lowe is an actor, writer, and now director who has appeared in a host of critically acclaimed TV shows and films, including Ben Wheatley's Sightseers, which she co-wrote. Her mainstream directorial debut, Prevenge, is a black comedy about a pregnant woman who believes she's receiving murderous instructions from her unborn child. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, a weekly podcast in which we celebrate screen music. On which note, Alice enlisted electronic duo Toy Drum to compose the score for Prevenge, with the pair delivering a suitably unsettling suite that reflects protagonist Ruth's psychopathic urges. Alice, welcome to Soundtracking. I'm excited to talk to you about this because your film Prevenge, the soundscape to it, is wonderful and it's a perfect accompaniment to what's going on visually. What were you trying to achieve with it and how important is the music to you, particularly when it came to this film? I knew that the soundtrack needed to be quite idiosyncratic because the film is quite idiosyncratic itself and, and I felt like I don't want this to be your typical slasher or horror or thriller. You've got to sort of get to know the character and get to like her and I felt like music was going to be that way in because it's kind of her world, it's what she's hearing, it's what she's feeling and in her mind she's not this horrible killer, she's striving to be good, you know, to do the right thing and she's like a superhero in her head that she's on this epic journey so I kind of needed the music to have an epic quality to it or a fairy tale sort of quality to it motifs as well like recurring themes because I, I was very inspired by Taxi Driver and the soundtrack in that is obviously a huge part of it yeah. um, and I wanted the soundtrack to have that similar kind of status within the film that you would hear it and go oh I'm enjoying hearing that song again it's come back <laughs> and you know 
was it easy to find the right people to work with to vocalise that in terms of your what you saw as your vision for it? Well, I'd worked with Toy Drum before. That's um, Pablo Clements and James Griffiths. And um, I'd worked with them on a short film that was quite a sort of weird film about a nun. <laughs> but I wanted this really sort of electronic, grinding kind of weird soundtrack to it. And they were amazing. They were just so easy to talk to as well because if you're like me and you don't have, you know, I like music, but I don't, I don't play an instrument. I don't know what I'm talking about. And when you're trying to express an idea to someone and that they don't just go, you're a loser. You, you have no, <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, you mean B minor? Why didn't you say? Or, you know, I don't know. You just don't want to feel like that. You want to feel like you can vocalise your ideas and they, they won't mind. And they, yeah. They're really good at interpreting what you're very clumsily banging on about. instinctive they're very intuitive they kind of just went away and they had the film and they just responded to the images I mean we'd had conversations I'd sort of said I wanted to have a sci-fi film feel to it because I feel like pregnancy is a is very you know it's alien territory that yeah. this character's going into of like this new world of pregnancy so we talked about Blade Runner and Clockwork Orange oh, wow. and stuff like that and then they kind of went kind of just went away and made this these amazing tracks that were just so complete really I was like this is this is it this is what I want as the theme and this is the the bit that I want to be this and they they sort of said oh, we're going to give you a palette really which is a good way of describing yeah. it of just lots of different emotions within the same kind of spectrum of tone and what they gave me was amazing <laughs> Cheesy romantic track. And I 
was already thinking of the films being quite 70s and I said can you go away and listen to some ELO and 10cc and Demi Roussos and yeah. ABBA and you know um, Saturday Night Fever and stuff like that I just want something really shimmery and dreamy which I knew that for them that's like as happy as they get (laughs) in terms of their music they're very sort of dark and they know that about themselves I kind of was like if I I give them a bit of a curveball of something that's out of their comfort zone and they just came back with even more amazingness so all of that was just such good fun to do Writing for Ruth, she she references Glass Animals. She references a band when oh, she's that, with yeah, DJ that, Dan in the flat. Is that it, might it, be you reading way because you're you're really musically literate. You're reading way too much <laughs> into, into it. it I think. Well, I wondered if when you're if when you're creating <laughs> characters, similarly with sightseers and stuff, if you go so far as to think about what kind of music the characters would listen to and oh, that kind yeah. of vibe. Yeah, totally. I mean, I often listen to a same track over and over again when I'm writing a scene because if I've got a, a vibe in my head that's been given to me by a bit of music, it just really helps to get the pacing of the scene and the tone to just listen to it over and over again. It was true with Sightseers as well. We kind of were like, well, what world have these characters come from? What Mm. do they listen to on the radio? What gets them up dancing in a disco? They probably would go crazy to a tainted love or something like that. And at the end of the day, that was Ben's choice on the soundtrack. But we definitely wanted the characters to have an identity through the music. Sometimes I feel I've got to run away.
voice, really, that I was sort of like, I think that actually when she says she likes 70s music, she's not lying. So when she meets this DJ character and he's kind of testing her a little bit, I kind of wanted her to actually know her stuff that you kind of like, the audience are like, oh, she's got herself a bit in too deep. She said she likes 70s music, 70s and 80s music. Does she really, though? And then actually she does, you know. She sings Nick Kershaw back <laughs> Yeah, which is a scene that I cringe when I watch that. Why? It's great. Oh, I don't know. I mean, don't I'm glad we did it. Be. <laughs> I just sort of watch it and go, oh. Oh my god, you're such a loser. It's just that pain of watching yourself as a performer that sometimes it's like, I, I'm like, I wish I wasn't directing myself because I'll sort of say to the editor, should we lose all of this? And he'll be like, no, it's good. And I'll be like, yeah, I hate myself though. Um, but, you know, you have to get over that pretty quickly. Yeah. But we actually couldn't lose it in the edit. That's the swings and roundabouts of filming low budget is sometimes you don't have that many options in the mm -hmm. edit. And every time we tried to get rid of it, we were like, yeah, but we have, where do we cut it? He's in the wrong place now. How, do, how does he get over from here to, you know, it's just yeah. all that kind of stuff. So um, it stayed, you know, Nick so Kershaw's in there. <laughs> Did you come to the decision on it being that particular track she'd well, sing in that film? I have to say we had to go through a few different tracks because we, we have to get clearance in yeah, advance. Yeah, we had to get yeah. clearance and it costs money as well. So, you know, we do mention Summer Loving and I wanted them to do a whole Summer Loving thing because to Great. me that was that cheesy thing that loads of people's weddings, they yeah. sing Summer Loving to each other, <laughs> loads of reunions and stuff. You can imagine people getting on the dance floor and singing Summer Loving and I thought that's the type of DJ he is. I just thought that would be weird, singing Summer Loving and then killing it. <laughs> Summer Loving had me a blast. Summer Loving happened so fast. I met a girl crazy for me. Met a boy cute as for me. Summer days drifting away to another summer
how much money and so we couldn't afford to do it they were like do you want to go for another track and I was like I mean I love Nick Kershaw anyway but um, some of the lyrics like don't want to be here no more and stuff like that he's always got this melancholy which I kind of liked the idea that she identifies with Nick Kershaw and his outsider-ish songs that the hidden sings. layers underneath what seems like a nice happy pop song yeah yeah totally well, which video, relates to the film as well you know yeah well he's quite tortured in the video actually I've watched that a few times as well um it's sort of like yeah he turns into a drawing it's a little bit like the aha thing his suit is all like colors it's sort of animated i mean i can't remember anything other than the suit that changes colors but you know it's joseph (laughs) yeah (laughs) nick kershaw and his technicolor dream coat In the scene where, you, where she arrives in the bar club where Tom Davis's character DJ Dan's playing stuff, I've watched the film three times and, I, and I've watched it on my own and then with people the other two times. And both times, people that I'm with have said, we've been there. We've been <laughs> no, in that right. venue. Everybody's... Really? Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I also think that about the taxi scene because oh, um, God, yeah. we nearly didn't get that because we just were like, oh, it's really hard to film in a taxi. For some reason, we were like, oh, we can't get our heads around filming in a taxi. In the end, we just jumped in a taxi and said, can we film in here? And he was like, yeah. But I think everyone's been at that. Yeah, I'm not going to get drunk. I'm not going to get drunk because I'm in this awful empty bar. And then they do get drunk. And then it's like, I'm not going to go home with this person. I'm not going to go home with it. And then before you know it, you're in a cab with them. And it's like, you know it's a bad idea by the time you're in the cab. And it's just the silence. You know, there was music before and now there's just silence. And for me, that was why it was so important to film in the cab as well. Because, you know, the producers were like, could we film that scene somewhere else? and I was like not really you kind of need to be trapped in this space and really people don't like filming in cars because you can only do one angle Mm. and I was like but isn't that the whole point of that scene is that you are trapped you know that yeah you're in there with them yeah you're in there with them and I think that's what makes that scene really powerful because you just go I've been in this cab I am in the cab with you I've been (laughs) in there and and actually that's a a good compliment from your friends saying that because all I wanted to do with the film is make you feel like you're on board with this character all the way through that you've actually she's like a submarine and you're the baby you're almost inside her viewing the world Mm. from from inside her eyes and I think that was the journey I was trying to take you on that most pregnancy films I think are on the outside looking at the pregnant woman and this one, I wanted you to be with her. And even if you're a man, even if you've never had a baby, that you, you're with her as she's going through these things and, and coming to identify with how she's feeling. So that was the challenge with the whole thing. And, and I think that's why it was important to film it in this sort of claustrophobic way, just to give this intensity of experience, really. You mentioned um, Taxi Driver soundtrack earlier has been a big influence in that. And I watched this great thing that you did for, I think it was film 2016, where you ran through some of your favourite horror films. Mm. And with the kind of horror genre in specific, there's a certain soundscape that they have that's quite similar and familiar, kind of, that just really sets things up. Mm. Are, there, are there things for you in, in terms of the soundtracks, things that kind of you really wanted to play with and, and kind of use as reference points? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big lover of um, David Lynch. Um, I, you know, I haven't really talked about him before, but I think in terms of what he does with sound, it's incredible. And it's, um, it's just unnerving you. It's just setting you on edge so that all the way through you're doubting your own sanity, basically, yeah. as you're watching it. So I think that's always a touch point for me, you know, especially with this film where someone is going insane. You know, we, we were talking a bit about David Lynch. <laughs> learning about it I suppose you know it fascinates me I don't really know much about it but um, I really trust the sound designer that I work with and he's a brilliant mixture of sort of classic he, he knows all of the horror tropes but he's also completely open to just trying stuff mm. as well so there was a, an accident in the sound mix where there was one scene where a wind noise from one scene was laid over the top of another just by mistake and it was a wind like you're in an open space but we were in a small bedroom and I was like I quite like that and he was like alright we'll leave it on we'll leave it on and he just was like open to doing yeah. stuff like that he's really experimental and really interesting and lots of stuff like him just going should we just use this I've got this weird thing with pins sticking out of it if I make this noise with it do you want to use that in the scene and I was like <laughs> mm, yeah yeah that adds something for me as well some of the interesting things that we did was stripping it back so for example in the, there's a hospital scene and Martin Pavey the sound designer had put in hospital background noise and I actually said to him do you know what I don't want it to feel too real I want it to feel theatrical and to me every scene in the film is like a bit of theatre mm -hmm. and it shouldn't feel real because this person is in a, a mind space where reality is not real you know and, and so I was like I don't want to give the audience too many safety nets really yeah. of feeling like oh we know where we are it's like all the way through we're kind of unsettling you by going okay I know that I'm in a hospital but I can't hear the usual hospital sounds it's actually just eerily quiet and then anything you're bringing in on top of that really yeah. jolts you and captures you because it's very isolated it feels very lonely there's no apart from without giving too much away there's a, a crowd scene but mainly it's sort of just her by herself so it's very sort of still and quiet and um, because of that we didn't lay on a lot of the usual yeah. conventional sounds that you usually do there's also a key scene where she's in the bath and there's sort of this weird echoey muffledness to the sound and just lots of things like that which again were helping you to feel like you were in an enclosed space or in the womb almost.
brilliant to kind of celebrate a woman who, who's writing, directing and starring in her own production. And I know that someone that you highly regard is Delia Derbyshire in terms of what she's done music-wise. How were you introduced to her and what was the interest in her? I don't know how I got into her. It's probably through some sort of weird YouTube thing. <laughs> I, I was I was doing radio series. I had three series on BBC Radio 4 that were comedy series. It was called Alice's Wonderland. And when I was writing that to get the right vibe, I used to say it's the pound shop of magical realms and it was almost like a creepy children's show from the 70s so when I was writing I was listening to lots of electronica from the 60s and 70s weird stuff so I was listening to Delia a lot and um, I just kind of found her stuff is really distinctive it stands out a mile so memorable I mean mm. I think that's where the Doctor Who soundtrack has permeated even though it's had lots of different versions her version is the definitive one she co-wrote with Ron Granger <laughs> to find someone who is carving such an individual path for themselves. I mean, they, they're still um, archiving some of the reels that they found in her attic after she died. And some of the stuff that they're sampling, I mean, it sounds like modern rave music. Some of the stuff that she was making in like 1961. It's and unbelievable. It. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing of the technology back then was there wasn't any. It was no. reel to reel. It, it was, was handcrafted basically. Yeah. It was like cutting stuff up and sticking it together, making loops. She was making electronic loops as we understand it now because we have synthesizers and computers and stuff. But she was making those by hand and you know the perfectionism with which she did that and the obsessive nature of it. And I just think something really beautiful and fascinating about her story, I, I would love to do a biopic of, of hers. I, I sort of did pitch it around um, a couple of years ago and I'm sort of hoping that I can get it off the ground at some point. And she had to really fight as well to get... Yeah, yeah there's like a legendary story that she went to Decca Records and sort of banged on their doors and they were a bit like yeah you can work for us as a typist we don't have female composers and you know that was the common story yeah. at that era and she only got into the BBC Radiophonic Workshop by coincidence really by working at the BBC as a producer and then gradually they developed this department and sort of said to her we think we found a place that you might like to work yeah. and she was like in there like a flash <laughs> yeah. you know and just that was her realm that was her world that she just spent and you know they'd be in there at midnight in this place it sounds like a really crazy cool sort of wish I could have been there yeah it <laughs> Yeah, well, the smell might have been overpowering. <laughs> I'm sure she smelt lovely. And, um, as well. Uh, well, you know, yes. I have two. And, um, well, speaking personally, I, I feel that. Talk out, talk out, talk out, talk out. She was like really eccentric sort of character and she would cycle and be wearing a cape and a big floppy hat and like be cycling around London. She sounds fabulous. Yeah, she was very eccentric. There's lots of interviews you can listen to on YouTube and there's a few documentaries and she's very posh but very funny, like mm. very amusing. She was also born in Coventry, which I was as well. I feel a kind of affinity. It's meant to be. 
Would you play it as well then if you, if you... I don't know really. I think Ros Pike would probably do a good job. I'd probably get it made easier if she did it. <laughs> I'd love to do it, but you know, it's quite difficult when you're doing a biopic because there's always that thing of like, do you get a different actress to play her when she's younger? Yeah. And then I find it really unsettling when it is a different actress. Suddenly you're like, what? Who's um, that? Yeah, who's this person? I haven't decided whether I like them or not yet. <laughs> and that's just me. Anyway, that's the way that I feel about like, the particular actor. I don't, you know, it's, it's just... It's, it's quite a tricky one, but I'm sure it's all to play for. There's a, a young female composer called, I, I can never get her name right, it's either Mika Levi or... Oh, yeah. Who I think I don't know how to say. Yeah, her name me either. neither. She did Under the Skin, <laughs> yes, which I just thought was amazing, and she's done Jackie, yes, which is which I was really surprised. Me about. too, but Oscar nominated and all that kind of stuff for it, which I think is wonderful. But we need more female composers coming yeah. through. sort of knew that she was going to get snapped up because I, I loved Under the Skin as mm. well and I loved the soundtrack and I met her a few times and was a bit of a fangirl because some of the award ceremonies and stuff Sightseers was around at the same time as Under the Skin and I would sort of go oh, hi will you work with me at some point and she was like uh, yeah who are you uh, I've got no idea who you are but she's lovely you know she's yeah. not interested I don't think she's really interested in the that whole world that, wo- yeah. that world particularly mm. I think she just does what she does but I was like I know that if I don't get in like early like so I saw another thing recently and I was like, I still want to work with you, you know. She's like, yeah, you're this mad woman that comes and talks to me. I think she'll love Prevenge. Oh, I hope so. Well, I, I think, think she's got a it. very good sense of humour. You know, I love toy drum as well and I have my affiliations, but, you know, I might cheat on them with her at some point. Um, <laughs> that I can't wait. When for. they're too busy in Hollywood doing whatever, you know, being encouraged to be happy. <laughs> yeah, yes, it's actually being challenged <laughs> to be more happy. Um, Alice, thanks so much. I can't wait for whatever the next chapter is. Um, oh, but you. congratulations on Prevenge. It's absolutely brilliant. Oh, Cheers. thank you. <laughs> From Mika Levy's score from Under the Skin, that's Mirror to Vortex, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Alice Lowe. (laughs) 
My huge thanks to Alice for taking the time to talk to us. I can't wait to see what she does next. Prevenge is out on home entertainment formats now with Toy Drum Score available via our good chums at Invader Records. It is really fantastic piece of work from start to finish. You can check out all of our previous shows via edithbowman.com with Ron Howard, Andrea Arnold and Damien Chazelle amongst those on offer. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do rate us on iTunes if you get a moment. Next up is legendary documentary filmmaker Nick Broomfield talking about his latest film, Whitney, Can I Be Me? I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Thank you.